Hello, welcome to Fulcherut. Irish for welcome. Bienvenue, which is also something for welcome. German, I believe. Welcome to Ponderland. It is the 25th of October. It's a Wednesday. It's 2023. I have a few things I want to talk about today. Unfortunately, the situation in the Middle East is ongoing. So I'm going to mention that. But I'm also going to talk about an interesting scientific theory that was published during the week that suggests that we might all be in the universal bin. So, Israel-Palestine. This one's not going away, unfortunately. And people are becoming more and more polarised on this issue. And I think that that is the problem that we now have in this world. Obviously there's a problem that the conflict is still ongoing, that people are losing their lives on a daily basis. The Palestinian people are under an onslaught of a siege, the likes of which I don't recall ever having seen before. I'm not going to justify anything Hamas did, but if this is proportionate retaliation, then goodness me, it's grim. But here's where I think the problem actually lies for the world at large at the minute, is that people are choosing sides, which kind of always happens in conflict. People choose sides. And people genuinely want to believe that they're on the right side of the argument. And it it paints things as very black and white. So it's the, I'm choosing the Israeli side because they're the good guys and the Palestinians are the bad guys. Or I'm choosing the Palestinian side because they're the good guys and the Israelis are the bad guys. People then start to look at it and frame it in terms like good and evil. One of the Israeli representatives of the United Nations yesterday pretty much said that, that they were the good side and they were fighting evil. And they genuinely believe that. And people who choose their side genuinely believe that. And there are people who view Israel, the state, or the government, or the prime minister, possibly the Israeli people, I don't know, but there are, there will, there will be, there will be people who view them as evil, and the Palestinian are good, and the problem with the good guys is they can't do anything wrong, so whatever the good guy does, he's doing it because the other guys are evil. And this is where the problem lies, because their people have chosen sides, Their side is the good side, the other side is the evil side. That's the real danger in choosing sides, is you create one side as good and the other as evil. And once you've picked your side, that's when you start to degrade the other side. So you give them degrading labels. This this has happened since time immemorial. One such label that has been around 
for a long time and I had my glamorous assistant Google Bard check this for me. The word savage. I asked Bard, who introduced the idea that some humans are savages? So Bard's reply, the idea that some humans are savages has been around for centuries. It has been used to justify colonialism, slavery, and other forms of oppression. In the 15th century, European explorers began to travel to Africa and the Americas. They often described the indigenous people they encountered as savages because they had different customs and beliefs than Europeans. In the 18th century, the Enlightenment brought a new way of thinking about the world. Philosophers such as Jean-Jacques Rousseau argued that all humans are born equal and free. I like that. However, some Enlightenment thinkers also believed that some humans were more civilised than others. And, and that's the word. We define what's civilised, and if someone doesn't match our description of what we define as civilised, then we look upon them as savages, or we can look upon them as savages. Once we have classed somebody as a savage, it doesn't really matter what you do to that person. It really doesn't matter what you do to that person because you've completely, you've degraded them. And think about that word, degrade. You've given them a lesser grade. They're no longer what you are. They're no longer human. They're no longer thinking. They're no longer civilized. They're animals. They're savages. That's a very dangerous place to be when you start to degrade humans. I've said this on previous podcast. I believe I've said it on a previous podcast, possibly in my last podcast. There used to be other species of human being. There no longer is. There's only us. We talk about races and stuff like that. Race is a Race is something that we have, again, we've, we've, we've started to label people who look different than ourselves, but we are the same species. We are all the same species. We're all homo sapiens. Neanderthal is gone. Uh, the Denisovans are gone. Homo nilati. Sorry if I've got that wrong, but they're gone. Any other species of human being that there were are gone. Now, <laughs> there's various rumours as to or theories as to what may have happened to all of these species of human being one of which is that we maybe erased them wouldn't be like us would it we're not cruel we wouldn't degrade another species of human being we wouldn't degrade another species of human being would we and then wipe them out to the point of extinction would we God. anyway in the 19th century the rise of social I'm back to Bard by the way, the rise of social Darwinism led to a renewed interest in the idea of savagery. Social Darwinists believed that human societies were subject to the same laws of natural selection as animals. They argued that some societies were more advanced than others because they were more successful at competing for resources. Competing for resources. Com competition for resources is where a lot of these problems began. With colonial empires. 
The idea that some, back to Bard, the idea that some humans are savages has been used to justify many atrocities throughout history. It is important to remember that all humans are equal, regardless of their race, culture, or beliefs. Well said that, Google Bard. Now, those who consider themselves as civilized, those who consider themselves as civilized, have carried out atrocities, even once civilized. Some examples of civilized societies that have carried out torture and atrocities include the ancient Greeks and Romans. They used torture to extract confessions and punish criminals. Crucifixion? Anyone? The Spanish Inquisition used torture to suppress dissent and enforce religious orthodoxy. Quite a few savages were erased from South America thanks to the Spanish Inquisition. The British Empire used torture to suppress rebellions and extract information from prisoners. The Soviet Union used torture to punish political dissidents and extract confessions. And the United States of America used torture during the war on terror. These are all supposed to be the epitome of civilization. These are civilized people carrying out atrocities on other people. And it's easy to do this once you've degraded those other people. They're just savage Arabs. They're just animals. They're subhuman. People talk about what happened in Israel on the 7th of October and how those Hamas, those members of Hamas who carried out those, who carried out that massacre of around 1,400 people must be subhuman. It's hard not to think in that way because I certainly couldn't do it. I certainly, well, they say anybody has the capability, but it, it wouldn't, not in my wildest dreams or imagination, could I take the life of another human being, especially not in a savage manner. Yet, this is apparently, sorry, not apparently, this is factually what happened that day. It was a savage massacre. There were stories that babies had been beheaded. Those stories have since been debunked, which is a relief, but it doesn't make the savagery of massacre any less. Are those people subhuman? What does it mean to be subhuman? We have seen that human beings are more than capable of carrying out the most horrendous of savage attacks on other human beings. We can bring death and suffering to our own fellow humans. It seems with relative ease. Look where I'm from, Northern Ireland. Look at some of the things the IRA did. Strapping people to the steering wheel of their van and forcing them to drive into a, an army base and blowing them up. Bombing kids at a memorial service. Look at the Shankle Butchers. If you want to know about subhuman acts of savagery or what you might perceive as subhuman acts of savagery, look up the Shankle Butchers to see what they did. Look up the romper rooms of Belfast to see what loyalist paramilitaries 
dead to innocent Catholics who were, <clears throat> excuse me, just walking home from a night out or something. So, acts of savagery can be carried out by any people, it seems, on any other people. Now, the point I'm trying to make after that almost 10-minute rant, I'm going back to the taking of sides. Am I saying that we shouldn't take sides? I think I am. I think I am. Now, this is where people say, you either take a side or you sit on the fence. And if you sit on the fence, you get splinters in your ass. I'm not saying sit on the fence here. But what I am saying is that there's another angle with which we can look at this conflict as human beings. So there's another angle or another side. Because maybe this isn't just the Israelis or the Palestinians. One, what if you pick the side of humanity and you accept that if there is such a thing as good or evil? And this is something that's actually... This is something that's actually worth exploring. Good and evil. Some people believe that good and evil are objective moral truths that exist independently of God. They argue that these moral truths are evident in the natural world and in human nature. You could point to the fact that humans have a natural inclination to help others and to avoid harming others, which most of us do. Most of us would rather help someone than harm someone. They would also point to the fact that certain acts, such as murder and rape, are universally condemned by cultures around the world. I'm getting this from Bard again, okay? Bard's actually very intelligent. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's a case for AI taking our place. Others believe that good and evil are subjective moral constructs that are created by humans and argue that these moral constructs are based on our own personal values and beliefs. For example, they might argue that what we consider to be good is simply what benefits us or our group or our side, while what we consider to be evil is simply what harms us or our group or our side. Let's take God out of the equation, right? Because some people listening to this will believe there is a God and some people listening to this will not believe in God, okay? There's... There's, those are two competing ideologies. A lot of people think there is a God. People can't always agree on if it's their God or the other person's God. Another reason to take sides. But let's say that let's say there's a new God. There no new God. Not new. We don't need a new God. Let's say there's no God. Then it is possible to view good and evil as subjective moral constructs. However, even if this is the case, it doesn't mean that good and evil are meaningless. Our moral constructs can still have a powerful influence on our behaviour and the world around us. So let's look then at us. Let's look at let's look at humanity. If we were to look at humanity, then we would mourn every death, regardless of what side it occurred on. We would mourn the and we would regret the fact 
that Israelis lost their lives on the 7th of October. In the same way as we regret and mourn the what could be up to now 6,000 lives lost since in Palestine. Now, what's happening at the minute with the carpet bombing of Palestine, with the siege, with the turning off of the water, with the cutting the fuel lines, with the cutting aid and everything else to those people, that cannot be some sort of morally just act. That cannot be some sort of righteous revenge. Look at humanity when you see the 85-year-old Israeli lady who was taken hostage by Hamas. As she was released yesterday, she shares a moment with one of the armed Hamas guys. He's masked up on all the typical um, military uh, garb. But so he's the he's the he's the militant in this equation in this story, and she is the hostage. He is the captor, and she is the hostage. And captor and hostage. It's the hostage actually. She turns to him, and offers her hand, and takes his hand, and they share a moment, and she says shalom. That's a human moment because that's a human connection. There's there's a human connection there between those two. Now, I know what some people some people are going to say, yeah, but she doesn't know exactly what they did at this point. She knows she knows people have been killed and she knows she has been taken hostage and she knows other people have been taken hostage. But she maybe doesn't know the extent of this. She she maybe is aware of 20, 30, 40, 50 people being killed, 10 people being taken hostage. When she finds out that that number is 1,400 dead and the manner in which some of them died, when she finds out how many hostages were taken, she may feel differently about that man. But in that moment, that was a human connection. That was, that was an example of how we, we don't want to hate each other. We don't want to hate each other. So if we take the side of humanity and we say that all the killing is wrong, that Hamas should never have done what they did, have did what they did, they should never have done that, that Israel should not have responded in the way that it did, people will say, well, what, what would you expect them to do? What I expect us as humans to do is to try and find an answer to this problem. This is a problem that needs to be solved because, and the UN, the head of the UN, Director General of the UN, Guterres, said yesterday, and Israel have got really angry about this. They've got really, really angry about this. He said that the attack on the 7th of October didn't happen in a vacuum. Now, that, now he didn't justify it. He didn't say because of the fact that it didn't happen in a vacuum, then they're perfectly justified in doing it. Some people do justify that attack. I don't know how they do. I can't, I can't justify the Hamas attack in the same way that I cannot justify in any way, shape or form what Israel are doing in Gaza at the minute and in the West Bank for that matter because there's, there's stuff going on there too. But no, Hamas did not, or the Hamas 
Hamas attack did not happen in a vacuum. That's right, or it didn't come from vacuum. And much in the same way that the IRA here and and, and Ireland, they didn't, they didn't a uh, come from a vacuum either. And what I mean by that is that if conditions are good for humanity, if we are all happy and treated fairly in a just society in which we all share in the abundance that this world has, now this isn't again me saying everybody should have exactly the same, so I don't want it to be interpreted in that way. I don't mind if there's a billionaire who has a super yacht. And you can go back and look, I have an episode on super yachts. It was one of the earlier ones. I don't mind if there's billionaires with super yachts. And I don't mind if I'm never one of them. I don't mind if I'm never friends with one of them. I don't mind if I never get to go on a super yacht. But I don't believe we should have billionaires in super yachts in a world where people starve. Where people starve because they can't get the basics. So, Hamas, as brutal and as savage as they are and can be, Israel, as brutal and savage as their response can be, there's nobody taking the time to fight on the angle or the side of humanity. You have to address the problems in this world. What did I say, or sorry, Bard say, about competing for resources? Anyway, come on, I can't even find it again now. Had it open in front of me. Oh, there it is. In the 19th century, the rise of social Darwinism led to a renewed interest in the idea of savagery. Social Darwinists believed that human societies were subject to the same laws of natural selection as animals. They argued that some societies were more advanced than others because they were more successful at competing for resources. Yes, we can still see that today. Nations competing for resources at the expense of humanity. Now, please roll on to the point where we get to Star Trek where the resources are all shared, and not necessarily equally, but that everybody lives in, an, in a just and prosperous environment, because surely that's what we all want. I hope this conflict comes to an end soon. I hope that very few more lives are lost. I'd prefer if none were lost. I'd prefer if... A ceasefire was called right away and every world leader got together to say, look, this is our turning point. This is where, as a species, this is where we need to change. This is where something fundamental has to change. Because it is possible to have a world where you never get a Hamas, you never get an IRA, you never get a ISIS or an Al-Qaeda or a UVF. There is a world that can exist in which none of those things will ever emerge. Okay, now, 
the other thing I wanted to talk about. The observable universe might be a black hole. Suggests a chart of everything. And I mean this chart has everything. The I'm going to pop a link into the description of this episode. And I'm also going to post a link on Ponderland's Twitter page as well. At Ponderland Life. So, it seems like such a simple idea, it's surprising nobody has done it before. Plot everything from subatomic particles to superclusters on a chart of mass and radius. Now that somebody has, the results raise some very intriguing and possibly a little disturbing questions. So, this graduate student, uh, along with Dr. Charles Lineweaver, that's a great name for a guy who's developed this graph full of weaving lines. Dr. Charles Nineweaver. I'm going to have to go and check this now to make sure it's not parody. Anyway, they used a log-log graph because nothing else could cover the many orders of magnitude in both size and mass between the very small and the very large. Certain areas are forbidden by known laws or where quantum mechanics blur the very nature of what it really means to be a singular object. But... The significant part of the chart is the black line that separates the area marked as forbidden by gravity from the space populated by familiar objects. And along this line are dotted black holes, and the larger the mass of a black hole, the lower its density. But the weirdest thing is that once they've got this log-log graph and they've plotted all these lines and they've plotted everything in it, if we follow the line... Upwards, we learn that the entire observable universe, i.e. our universe, the area that sits within the Hubble universe. In other words, if a black hole was as large as the universe we can see, it would have the same density as the universe. So that uh, then raises the question, is the universe a black hole? And if so, what does that mean? So here's a thought. What if, what if we're in a black hole? What if, what if the whole planet, along with all the other planets that we can see and the stars and the galaxies and stuff, what if we've all been sucked into a black hole? What if we are in some sort of universal bin or garbage can for my listeners west of the Atlantic? What if we're in the bin? And... I saw somebody who said, somebody was, I think it was one of those American Republican senators or anybody, so it was an American, anybody was talking, and again, going back to this Israel-Palestine thing, right, he was he was talking about how he had chosen Israel as his side because they're God's people, and he was kind of linking Christians to them by proxy and, and all sorts Anyway, so he was sort of saying, look, it's, it's okay that I'm a Christian because actually we are uh, pretty much Jews by a different name, blah, blah, blah. We're God's people by extension because of our solidarity and support for the Israelis and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah. Um, but then it got me thinking, you know, you've got these Christians who who are who are almost waiting for an Armageddon. They're waiting for World War Three because they think that's going to mark Judgment Day, you know, when... God comes back and says, right, I'm going to take you, but I'm not taking you. And we do know that 
Jesus was supposed to have been around approximately 2,000 years ago, give or take. And <laughs> this got me thinking, what if he came back? What if he like came back a hundred years later? What if he came back and did that whole, you know, I'm taking you, I'm taking you, I'm taking you. And they all went somewhere and then he threw this planet in the bin. <laughs> with with whoever was left on it, with no and they had no real knowledge of what had just happened or no real knowledge of how to write it down. Or maybe they did write it down like a lost or something, but what if what if he came back and took people and there's people all away now living in some sort of paradise that isn't in a bin? And we are just the leftovers discarded into a bin from where there is no return. What about that for a thought? What are we all fighting about when we're actually just in the bin? And maybe then, does it, does it really matter if we fight at all? Is there anything worth fighting for? Or does it matter if we fight or does it matter if we don't? Because at the end of the day, we're in the bin. And we're just going to be born... Do our thing, die, and we just keep falling through this bin until who knows. So, on that rather cheerful note, on that super happy notion that we might all be in a cosmic bin, I am going to say, please try and fight for humanity. Try and avoid taking a side if that means that you're degrading someone else to make your side good and their side evil. Because I think that's very dangerous. And even if we are in the bin, there's something magical about this world. And there's something magical about the planet that we live on. And planet Earth 3 with Britain's most wonderful national treasure, David Attenborough, has dropped on BBC iPlayer, episode one, Coasts. And it is just an amazing watch. But this series of Planet Earth is tinged with a bit of sadness because David focuses on how we are destroying this planet. We are destroying this planet at the expense of nature and you've got to think that David's not going to be around forever well none of us are are we as we as we tumble through the universal bin none of us are going to be around forever but David isn't getting any younger neither any of us I suppose but so you can't imagine there's going to be many many more series of planet earth and I for one will just treasure every bit of it uh, he's brilliant, the series is brilliant and yeah so even if we are in the bin we still live on a world full of wonder and it's there to be enjoyed and if we can get the humanity part fixed and we can all focus on humanity first competing for resources second trying to minimise war creating a better planet for everybody okay, now I am finished for today I think that's the longest one I've done yet. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you listened right through. If you didn't, that's okay. That's your prerogative. See ya. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Ponderland. 
I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. To contact the show, you can send us an email, hello at ponderland.life. You can also follow us on Twitter at ponderlandlife. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and most other places where you consume your podcasts. Thank you.